Mainstream adoption has always been here with tools like DeepL and Google Translate, etc. But NLP is now at the very center of this battle of the titans. Many of the major content platforms view Turkey as a growth opportunity. And welcome everyone to episode 150 of the Pod of Slater. Hi, Esther. Hi, Florian. We are live again, or we're recording again from Zurich and London. Uh, so for everybody who hasn't registered yet, we are going to do uh, another SlaterCon remote on March 22nd. So head over to the website and get your ticket. Today, though, Esther, we're going to talk about TransPerfect, this full year result, results, which they kindly share with us every year. Uh, we're going to talk about Cohere. Uh, who is rumored, reported to be on the way to getting a $6 billion valuation uh, kind of NLP framework foundation model company. We had their co-founder on the podcast. Um, you're going to talk about NHS, the beloved NHS, the British institution, the, uh, I don't know what to call it, uh, and their interpreting spend. Uh, you're also going to tell us a bit more about IUNO and the recent acquisition they did. Uh, big European Union contract as well, a, a million words, I think. And then uh, I'm going to close on uh, a, a recent Google Translate update. Uh, so TransPerfect, what happened there? What's the figures? Yeah, good figures. Um, so upwards of 1 billion again. Um, so 1.16 billion in 2022 in revenues. And that is a 4.6% growth compared with 2021. All right, so that's no longer double digit, but uh, in terms of percentages, but firmly double digit in in terms of millions. So this was a an increase of fifty one million dollars in revenue in one year, which you know, as we kind of had this analogy before, is kind of the size of a, 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 is, a is a is a good size large LSP that they're adding in in a single year by growing four point six percent. Just a sales machine, this company, incredible. Um, and uh, yeah, the CEO, Phil Shaw, told us that half the growth was organic, half was uh, attributed to M&A. They did do a couple acquisitions in 2022. I think semantics was earlier. That was in 2021, right? That was a big yeah. one. All right. So this year, this year we had Hivonti and a couple others, uh, kind of the E, what was it? No, not E-Discovery. Was it E-Discovery? It was um, the platform for, e for E-Discovery, wasn't it? E-Discovery, right. Yeah. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, virtual data. Yeah. Virtual data room. Close, close to e-discovery, but not quite the same. <laughs> Something that lawyers use either in, with e-discovery, it's more kind of on the litigation side and with uh, virtual data room, it's more on the deal side. You're using it for uh, M&A, right? We used it for our deal with uh, Sprout Social when we sold RepuState to them. Anyway, so... Um, they did say that there was a bit of a, they faced some headwinds, right? So they said some uh, global divisions grew when measuring in their local currencies. But when you actually kind of like uh, converted back into dollars, uh, they contracted a bit, which is something probably somewhat unusual for TransPerfect. Over the past few years, they've been probably firing in all cylinders. On the on a vertical basis, unsurprisingly, travel did super well. Um, you know, I did travel recently as well. And uh, it, you can sense that like, there's a lot of activity going on at the airport. There's now, some so appetite for travel. That's there's a lot of appetite for travel. <laughs> it was, uh, it was I actually wanted to upgrade on my way back, and it was it was fully booked. Like imagine that. 
So they also said that their interpreting business grew significantly and outperformed their expectations for the year. I think they did once mention that they have like a contact center right in the US, a new contact center, like a Syracom style, you know, basically where you have interpreters sitting in the contact center. Uh, they also said the trial interactive, like the e-clinical side and the legal solutions had great years. Um, uh, the e, no, sorry, the legal solution grew 11%. Nice, because they're already kind of the dominant player on the le in the legal space, I, th <laughs> I think particularly in the US. Um, and another product, uh, the Global Link Now, I wasn't actually super familiar with this, which is the, the TransPerfect machine translation solution, uh, kind of double sales in 2022. Did you know that they had a uh, a Chrome extension for Global Link now? I did not. There you go. You're learning something. I think it's been around since 2020, but uh, I you can't install it. You need to actually have a subscription with TransPerfect. Anyway, so looks like this is um, uh, geared also towards maybe not just like the fully enterprise bespoke thing, but also a bit kind of going into uh, a broader offering there if you have a, a, a Chrome extension or in my case, Brave extension. And in terms of the 2023 uh, outlook, quite positive. Um, so, you know, as usual, they say the first month, January was looking similar to 2022, so quite positive. I mean, look, these guys are great. They're just highlighting the positive. So, um, you know, there was one kind of Forex-related negative. So uh, I guess it is positive. Keep growing, large company, hyper-profitable, um, and uh, continuing to hire. So, you know, Let's see how they're faring in, uh, in 2023. Now, Cohere, do you remember the podcast? Or you I weren't do. around? At that oh, time? I wasn't around, but I did, I did listen to it. Pod 134. I was, uh, I was trying to get this right. This uh, Cohere is, you know, what others have uh, called a foundation model. <clears throat> That's, uh, I think a former Google exec put this framework out. So a foundation model for NLP, kind of in the broadest possible sense, AI, where others can build stuff on top of. Uh, and Cohere would uh, compete with the likes of OpenAI, which now everyone knows has kind of become one of the more recognizable companies and uh, Anthropic. Um, so what's happening with Cohere? Well, we did have Nick Frost, one of the co-founders on the pod in uh, pod 134 back in October, a lot has happened since. Obviously, OpenAI, ChatGPT uh, have hit the um, you know the mainstream uh, perception, I guess, or mainstream adoption, or whatever you call it. Uh, and so, Cohere is to Google what kind of OpenAI now is to Microsoft. And Cohere is now reported to be raising a monster round of like hundreds of millions of dollars at a valuation of six billion dollars. That's a lot of money for. A private company or a lot of, well, not money, a lot of uh, a juicy valuation for a private company. Um, and so, again, it's this, uh, it's kind of the AI layer and they need so much compute, uh, these, the open AIs and the coheres and the anthropics that they need to have a, uh, a cloud partner. So a company that can actually run the actual compute on their, uh, on their data centers, right? And so for Microsoft, that's the cloud, that's the Azure uh, I always don't know how to pronounce that. Let's call it Azure. On Google, it's a bit easier. It's uh, Google Cloud. So Cohere works very closely with Google Cloud, as is Anthropic. And uh, and you can run, just to try to bring it back a little bit to the language industry, you can run all kinds of stuff on that, right? Like um, all the way to multilingual applications, of course, you know, um, you know, probably also machine translation if you wanted to. I mean, you can prompt the thing to say, translate that sentence that I just put into to uh, to the model. So 
I'm totally butchering this. Go back and listen to uh, Nick's explanation of what Kahir does. But it's a, a one of the foundational models where a lot of the multilingual applications that we're going to see over the next couple of years is going to be built upon. All right. Again, let's bring it back to the cloud thing. These companies use a lot of compute, and Kahir works with Google Cloud. And interestingly, the other company that Google Cloud also works with or has invested in, in fact, is Anthropic, which is kind of a similar type of foundation model. And Google is now has invested $300 million in Anthropic. And now Anthropic is going to take that money and shovel it back into Google Cloud credits. <laughs> so... I wonder how the accounting works there eventually. Like you're funding a company that's then going to buy a lot of, uh, you know, services or cloud compute capacity from you. In fact, there was one of the, uh, like a legendary investor called uh, Bill Gurley. He's kind of one of the early ones in Uber. Uh, asked on Twitter, like, okay, how is this going to work accounting wise? So he didn't really understand it either. Thankfully, it's not our problem. <laughs> that's not our problem. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're not going to take it from trying to explain this foundation model to not trying to explain the accounting impact of it. But look, the long and the short of it, big battle of the titans and NLP is at the very center of it right now, which is incredible, right? So we've kind of hit absolute mainstream adoption, mainstream awareness, definitely. Mainstream adoption has always been here with tools like DeepL and, and Google uh, Translate, et cetera. But, uh, you know, NLP is now at the very center of this battle of the titans. I mean, yesterday there was this um, this glitch where, like, uh, Google demonstrated something on at, at an event and then, like, it gave the wrong answer. Like, their answer to ChatGPT gave the wrong answer. And then, like, the stock price tanked by, like, 7%. So that's, like, $100 billion off of Google's market cap just because of that. Silly One mistake, mistake that that model. <laughs> I mean, ChatGPT probably does that every every second now. But uh, anyway, let's go back to familiar shores to the UK and interpreting very far away from cloud credits and you know foundational NLP models. Yes, <laughs> couldn't get further away, I don't think. So we ran a story this week about um, UK's National Health Service trusts spending on interpreting there was a report that was put out by the taxpayers alliance which is kind of a pressure group that's looking to ideally cut waste and reform taxes and public service that, that's what they say sounds like you like them sorry should i cut the irony out of my voice um they are striving to cut waste no <laughs> Um, yeah, so they put out a report and it was based on freedom of information request um, that was sent to the NHS trusts around the UK. They were basically asking, okay, how much did you spend on interpreting over three years? So they were looking at uh, 2019 to 2020 financial year all the way through to 2021, 22. Um, they had a response rate of about 65%. So that's 157 trusts that responded with their figures out of 240 that were contact, contacted. Um, and yeah, so we looked at the data in 2019 to 2020, there was 43 million pounds spent by these trusts on interpreting. 2020 to 2021, bit less at 31 million pounds. We'd expect that, that was kind of, you know, COVID times. Um, and then 2021 to 22 increased again up to 39.8, so about 40 million totaling then over 100 million over three years, 114 million pounds over three years. And that's the amount spent just by those 157, so 65% that actually responded with the figures. Um, but then they kind of did their mathematics with the rest of the trusts and said if all 240 trusts had 
responded, the total spent over three years would be more like £174 million. That's around $210 million. Again, over three years. Um, and if you divide that by three, that equates to £58 million per year or about £70 million per year. And that's for everybody across all of the 240 trusts. So it doesn't seem like huge, huge sums that we're talking about here um, overall. The UK GDP is roughly, what, two and a half billion, a trillion. You do some math on the fly. Yeah, I'm doing math on the fly. So 70 per year. Let's assume it's kind of somewhat proportional. Uh, so you'd have like, I don't know, roughly like eight times uh, 70. Uh, come on. Eight times. Yeah, I mean, so it's roughly, it's a lot. It's a lot of money going into interpreting in Europe. I suppose it's, it's one area as well. This is just NHS. You would, you know, there's more for police, there's more for, we've covered lots of different sort of public sector users in in the UK as well. Ballpark, you're getting to somewhere like 300 plus million. If you kind of assumed that probably the UK would be somewhat disproportionately higher than maybe some of the other European countries, right? Um, so you're getting 300 million. You, add, you probably assume that uh, the healthcare sector would be quite uh, one of the more demanding one, one of, and maybe even the biggest or a, a very big one, right? All right, let's start with the math on the fly. Uh, now, but was there any kind of follow-up on this? Or so it's like, hey, thanks, FYI, we're spending, you know, 70 million US dollars a year. Or what, what was, that was just like... I mean, I think the, the purpose of the report from the perspective of Taxpayers Alliance was obviously to highlight what they called, um, well, said could lead to exorbitant costs. Um, but in terms of follow-up, not sure. I mean, from our perspective, I think it's just interesting data that they were able to gather during this exercise. Yeah, it would seem, I mean, for a country the size of the UK, spending 70 million a year on like making sure that people in a healthcare setting understand each other, I don't know, wouldn't seem exorbitant to me. I mean, there's money spent on weirder things. I think the thing as well is that obviously there's a requirement in the UK that patients need to be able to access interpreting services free at the point of delivery, um, you know, which maybe is different from the arrangements in, in other countries. Um, but that kind of is a key part of, of the NHS generally. Got it. Moving on to media localization and to a country hard hit. Uh, in recent days, uh, Turkey, a terrible earthquake uh, happened, I think, earlier this week. Uh, but let's put the focus on uh, Ayuno. And so they bought a local subtitling and dubbing company. Do we know where it was based? Was it, is it based in Istanbul or we don't know? I think so. I don't actually know. Um, they didn't buy the company. They invested. Strategic investment, they're saying. Um so yeah, it was a company called Ak, Ak I have to pronounce this Aklakara. There we go, Aklakara, um, and it's a Turkish subtitling and dubbing provider. We don't have any financial terms uh, around the deal; they weren't disclosed. Um, but we can tell you a bit about the company. It was founded in 2000. Uh, works with customers like Netflix, Amazon, Prime Video, Discovery, and also digital platforms, game companies, and advertising companies. Um, the company Aklakara was known to Ayuno prior to the deal. 
Uh, I think Aklakara was an outsourced contractor for Ayuno for Turkish dubbing. Um, so they've been working together for a number of years. And from Ayuno's perspective, this is them, you know, expanding further in EMEA, um, building up Turkish dubbing capacity. And we asked the CEO, David Lee, um, founder and CEO, David Lee, about the market for dubbing uh, media localization in Turkey. He said it's a vibrant market. And he also said many of the major content platforms view Turkey as a growth opportunity. Um, you might remember, I think a couple of years ago in late 2021, one of Ayuno's competitors, Zoo Digital, they also learned, launched Turkey operation, operations through a strategic investment. Um, and then went on to also do a similar kind of arrangement in India and Korea through strategic investment or, or acquisition. And we asked David Lee also about um, you know, how things had been for them in 2022 and, and also about their plans for M&A. So he said that Ayuno generated a bit more than half a billion dollars in revenue in 2022. Uh, he also said they're optimistic for 2023, um, that it will be another solid year for growth. And then talking about M&A um, and sort of what well, geographic presence, they are already present now in 35 countries around the world. But he said there are still a high number, there are still a number of high growth dubbing markets where we do not yet own and operate. He means studios, dubbing studios there. Um, and each of these markets is being carefully considered for potential future expansion. So you might see more of these kind of strategic investments in, in different locations going forward. Big company, huh? $500 million a year in 2022. Are they going to be on the LSPI? Are we going to get that? Uh, are we going to get a bit more detail around that figure or we're going to I put would that into the LSPI? So. Yeah. Looking forward to that index. Um, now, another, well, staying in Europe um, with the TROD 23 contract. TROD 23, it's, it's a it's big going to one. keep a lot of LSPs busy in Europe. Yeah, busy at least in the initial stages when you have to actually go through the process of uh, responding to this upcoming RS RFP. Um, so this was this is a tender that's going to be upcoming for the European Commission's Directorate General for Translation, or DGT as we like to call it. Um, they gave a heads up about the call for tenders, um, which is, I think, expected to be kind of properly formally launched in March. Um, it's a contract for the translation of EU documents from and into the EU official languages. And they have different lots per uh, language combination. So 50 different lots. Basically, you can respond and say, I want to work on this lot, i.e. this language combination. Um, it's a deadline for application is May, I think end of May. Uh, and there's going to be before then inform informational ses uh, sessions in most of the EU capitals. So, you know, they're obviously kind of serious about wanting to brief people on, on what's required here. And then the actual process itself will include online testing. On. Can, I, can I pause you for a second? What did you just say? They're going to do, they're going to brief people? Well, they're doing in informational sessions in most about EU capitals. About the contract? I believe so. Yeah. So you can ask, ask any questions. No, I mean, normally in an RFP, you have an opportunity to ask questions. The EU's AMA on Twitter or on Reddit or I don't know. <laughs> I'm saying like normally when you, when there's a tender, you have the opportunity to submit questions, but that not typically, as far as I'm aware, it's done normally via uh, like the online portal. So as, as the 
as the person who's bidding, you have an opportunity to ask the question and then whoever's running the tender would hopefully respond to your questions. So maybe they're taking this a bit more into, you know, real, real life. I think they're totally enjoying the the end of the pandemic restrictions. You know, let's do let's do in person sessions for let's tenders. tour Europe's capitals. That's right. In terms of the size, uh, it, I mean, it, it's pretty large. Got a total of more than one million pages per year that are up for grabs. Um, I already mentioned there's fifty different lots, i.e., fifty different language combinations. Um, it's one of these contracts where uh, they're likely to award sort of multiple contractors onto one lot. So multiple agencies being responsible for a particular language combination um, based on the quality and price. You'll be ranked. So let's say there's three con contractors. If you're contractor number one, you're the one who will be contacted first for assignments. So therefore, you're likely to receive bigger volumes than if you're the third placed on the list. Uh, it's a two-year contract, so uh, between March 2024 and 2026, and also has two possible extensions, meaning it's a max of four years. Uh, so max of, you know, upwards of four million pages over those potentially four years. Um, volumes, biggest volumes are coming from English into the other EU languages. Greek, English into Greek is the most number of pages with 65,000. Um, somewhat less volume. Yeah, surprising for that one. Um, I didn't expect uh, English into Greek to necessarily top the list. Um, then you've got less volume for into English language pairs. So for example, French into English is just 2,000, say just, is just 2,000 pages annually, whereas English into French is um, as much as 50,000 pages annually. 10 pages a day. Uh, no, a little more. Uh Hang on. French English is 2,000 pages. Wow, that's not much. Uh, kind of tells you a lot about how, even despite Brexit, how kind of Englified, Anglified or whatever the term is, uh, the EU, European Union is, right? It's a big working language. It's the working language. All right. So, well, good luck to anybody who, you know, tries to get a piece of this and submits RFPs. It's probably a lot of incumbents, people that have been, or companies that have been doing this for a while now and have fun at all those uh, in-person events in the capital. The road shows. Um, <laughs> the road shows. One of the road shows, I'm sure it's going to go to Paris as is, or as did Google when they did their live from Paris event yesterday. I did already tell you that that error shaved off $100 billion from Google's market cap. Wonder if that, wonder if it's going to bounce back. Uh, Today again, like they they Google launched something called Bard, which is kind of Google's version of ChatGPT, and the thing even during the demo, you know, had a made a mistake, and then like people are like, oh my god, this is worse than ChatGPT. Let's sell it off. It feels a little bit exaggerated, um, but anyway, among all the flurry of announcements, they also did an announcement, uh, a bit of a an update upgrade for Google Translate, the consumer version, kind of not the translation hub version that we had on a pot uh, recently with Malika. Um, so just, a, I mean, the app. I did uh, check if my app had updated because they said it kind of looks new and uh, kind of a new look and feel, but uh, that was only the Android app and I have the iOS app. So uh, they said that the iOS app is going to get a fresh look in about, in a few weeks. Uh, they say again that it's kind of a billion user, which uh, users, which could be true. I mean, you know, it's a lot of people that are using Google Translate. Um, not going to go through all of it, but basically new gestures kind of to make Translate more accessible, fewer taps to get to some of the functionality, more readable, 
then 33 new languages offline that you can download. And so you, you can, you know, presumably go into some like non-Wi-Fi, non-internet uh, coverage corner of the world, which is going to be, you know, when, when Musk launches all his satellites there with Starlink, uh, or he has launched a bunch of satellites, when it, then probably that's becoming less of a uh, required feature. But they did like ba Basque, Corsican, Hawaiian, Hmong, Kurdish, Latin, Luxembourgish, there's one, Sundanese, Yiddish, and Zulu. Luxembourgish. Like, would anybody who speaks Luxembourgish need Google Translate? There are some Luxembourgers who don't who don't speak English or don't speak English, German, or French competently. They're probably few and far between. There's monolingual Luxembourgish-speaking people. Yeah, I mean, I think not a huge number. Probably maybe in the older generations, I would imagine, but... I mean, not not necessarily monolingual, but maybe you have a preference for you know things in Luxembourgish. So hang on, I have no idea about Luxembourgish. What is it? Is it more French? Is it more German? Is it more Dutch? What is it? I mean, it's a bit of a mix of everything. Like, so I was living there for three years, but never really, obviously, never learned it, unfortunately any of the language. Um, but I heard somebody describe it as um, what was it? Sort of Flemish, like a German-speaking Flemish or something like that. And I've heard, I've heard different people describe it differently, um, but I think potentially it's slightly easier for Dutch speakers to understand, uh, Dutch or German speakers to understand than maybe French speakers, if you have you know no prior knowledge of the of the language. Well, a German speaking Flemish, it's like German speakers <laughs> speaking Flemish, like me. I can try to speak Flemish, and then I you know hit. Luxembourg. Then maybe you sound you will sound Luxembourgish. I don't know, but there are so I mean, there's obviously some borrowed words and stuff. I mean, one of the other ones would be Yiddish, which would be a lot easier for me to pick up. I, Yiddish, so it's it's uh, it's kind of like it, it has this really um, surprising overlap with Swiss German. I think both is just like really old German. So like sometimes it's quite. Um, I guess I I can understand it sometimes quite well. Uh, certain expressions are more Swiss than they're like high German. Unlike Zulu, Sundanese, Basque, or Hawaiian, or Hmong, or Kurdish, which are as far as possible from... What about Latin? Who needs Latin? Like in the Vatican? I wonder if there's any monolingual Latin speakers out there. Who speaks Latin on a, on a regular... Who needs... Think about it. Who needs Latin offline? Somebody taking a Latin test who doesn't have access to the internet. A student... A student in, in a non-Wi-Fi, geofenced, uh, like, you know, testing room exam. somewhere. Exam. Break out the Google Translate and get the Latin. I mean, there's n literally no other use for offline Google Translate Latin. No, there isn't. Cool. Well, so congrats to Google on adding Latin and Luxembourgish to Google Translate offline. We shall leave it at that and... See you all next week.